This week on Inside Motorsport, we continue our chat with Dave McGowan from drive.com.au. I hope you'll stay with us. would have already driven a number of the cars that are the replacement for the Australian cars. What's been your feeling? Um, it's, they're going to be very different to what we used to. If you look at Ford, for example, the Ford Falcon, as, as it stands, is quite an old car. It's left behind in many ways. And the Falcon at the moment is it's inefficient. It's not very advanced technically. Ergonomically, it's pretty dodgy. It just... You know, the performance versions go really well, like an XR6 Turbo or an XR8 Sprint is a very fast car still. But those cars are outclassed by what's coming out of what's coming out of uh, Europe and America. You know, the Ford Mondeo is a really beautiful car to drive, it's a good thing. And we expect cars like the Ford Edge, uh, which should be their replacement for the Territory, to be quite solid as well. Holden is a different story completely. Holden Holden's VF Commodore is genuinely a world-class product that the chassis under the vf which was in the ve commodore as well uh was the core of a few general motors programs including the camaro um it was engineered on a billion dollar budget out of australia and it still stacks up it's a really great car to drive and that's likely to be replaced by something very very different something something front-wheel drive that won't have anything like the Commodore's dynamics. There won't be a performance version in the same bent to what we're used to. You know, there, there won't be a 400-kilowatt-plus version of the car with, you know, massive brakes and just giant-killing performance that can hang out with a BMW M5 or a, an Audi RS6 the way that the, the HSV GTS can. And that's going to be really sad, losing, losing cars like the Commodore and the Ute and the and the XR8, yeah, we're we're going to get some more homogenous, worldly cars that will be competent cars that will be much more efficient and technically capable. But also, we're going to lose a fair bit of Australian character from the, particularly from the performance standpoint. If you love cars and if you love if you love performance cars and V8s and a bit of motorsport, then um, now really is the time to be thinking about getting getting your hands on a Falcon XR8 or. Commodore SS because soon they'll be gone and there won't be anything to replace. What about where the culture of Australia is going to change or has it changed already and we're no longer a car culture we're, we're so urbanly packed into Sydney and Melbourne that people now feel like they don't need to own a car anymore. Has the, the essence of the Australian car culture gone which has been the actual driver for the industry to go? There's, there's two questions there. I think one is that the Australian car culture has certainly changed quite a lot. Australia has the most diverse car market of anywhere in the world. We really do. We're, we're a test market to things like Chinese cars. We get a lot of cars out of Asia. We get a lot of cars out of Europe that aren't available in America and American cars that aren't available in Europe, things like that. It's a, um, it's a really eclectic mix that we have here, and certainly we have shifted away from buying Falcons and Commodores towards things like the Hyundai i30 has been the biggest selling car in Australia for the last couple of months, but also also pickups, utes, and European stuff as well. Luxury car sales are booming, SUV sales are booming. Australians are buying more cars than ever before, so we're not really falling out of love with cars, I don't think. But also the way that people are using them is changing. Yes, certainly we are getting a lot more clustered around the big capital cities, and that's 
something that is really concerning to car companies because they genuinely do believe that people will stop buying cars soon because they will because they will no longer have a need for them and because they've just become a little bit less practical really as housing density increases and business density increases you're less likely to find somewhere to park um, traffic becomes worse and worse and so what we're seeing from a, a long-term perspective is car companies investing quite heavily in ride sharing so Toyota, Volkswagen, Mercedes-Benz, BMW, Volkswagen, I think I already said Volkswagen. Yeah, some of the Ford, certainly in General Motors, some of the world's largest car companies are investing heavily in ride-sharing um, with companies like Uber and Lyft so that they can understand how people are using these sort of products and whether they can, you know, Toyota wants to become the preferred supplier of cars to Uber so that when you get an Uber, you're more likely to be in a Toyota and maybe if you're not buying a Toyota, you're still riding around in one and they're still getting a, getting a sale and, um, and possibly a slice of the profits there as well. So yeah, I would say the way that people are using cars is changing and it will change in the future. I can see cars in the, you know, in, in the distant future becoming a little bit like what horses are today. You know, horses were a daily necessity for work and for transport back in the day and now they're really only used for sport and for leisure. I think motorsport will be here for a very long time, and I think I think there'll always be dedicated cadre of enthusiasts with cars like not just Ferraris and Lamborghinis and things like that, but also people who do want to have a classic Holden or a V8 or you know a hot Renault or an AMG or something like that to play with either on weekends or at a club day. Or it's a it's a fascinating industry. There's a lot of technical developments coming on, and yeah, we're keenly watching the way that people are changing their approach to motoring. Mm. You've talked a lot about the uh, futurism of the motoring industry and also, interestingly, talking about urban planning there. How often do you get asked by your editors to look at these sort of issues and write about them as opposed to what we were talking about earlier where you're talking about driving a car and what it rides like and this one's better than that one? I, I try and keep it fairly balanced. I, I'm lucky enough to have a, a fairly free reign from my editor, Andrew McLean, a uh, guy who used to be the editor of Auto Action and um, maybe known to some people within the motorsport community. Should be known to a lot of people within the motorsport community. I, as a journalist, I think I need to keep my head on a swivel. I would say that of the writing that I do, maybe 20% would be reviewing cars and the rest would be a mix of automotive news, interviews, uh, bit of motorsport and and the big picture stuff. I really, really enjoy writing the big picture stuff and having a having a look and a think and talking to influential people about things like electric car infrastructure, things like um, hydrogen cars. Like last year I did a road trip throughout Europe uh, driving a hydrogen fuel cell powered car where you put in super high pressure hydrogen gas and it runs through a fuel cell that turns it into electricity. Uh, and emitting only water vapour as its exhaust. And that's the technology that a few key companies, including um, including Hyundai, Toyota, Mercedes-Benz and BMW, are really as a, as a future model. There are probably about half a dozen different kind of cars on sale in Europe and the US that run on that sort of technology. Yeah, it's really, it's really cool to have a look at that and to, I find, personally, I find that more rewarding than jumping in a fancy car and writing a review talking about how it rides and handles and all that sort of stuff. I think it's, it's, it's much more interesting to be part of such a dynamic industry that really is changing the way that people go about their lives. And if you look at things like autonomous driving, man, that is a crazy field in terms of the developments. Like some of the cool cool experiences that we've had there, 
uh, at the cutting edge of self-driving cars. It's, it's yeah, really exciting to see what's around the corner. And I can't let you go without saying, like uh, we saw with the hoverboard a few years ago when Back to the Future had the anniversary of when it was supposed to be available, when's the Jetsons hover cars going to be out there? Is, <laughs> is there any moves afoot? A hover car? Um, it's a long, long, long way away. The amount of energy it takes to get something that weighs a couple of tons to, to levitate above the ground is enormous. That Lexus hoverboard concept used an absolute ton of power and um, you know, it had to have a special like metal track, almost a magnetic track underneath it to work properly. Yeah, I, I don't see I don't see the, the hover car happening anytime soon. There are some guys playing around with essentially light aircraft that you can fold the wings up and drive on the road. It's more of a of a plane that you can drive rather than a car that you can fly. But what you will see very, very soon, within the next five years or so, if not sooner, will be a car that you can put in cruise control mode and have it drive to work for you. And I think that's that's pretty Jetsons to me. Mm. Dave, a pleasure to catch up with you and it's great to have a look uh, both inside and outside of what's going on in the motoring world. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Motorsport. Till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Motorsport is produced by Thunder Media for the Community Radio Network.